is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Heat Break, here's the voice of the Bucs, Jay Sandoz. All right, it is Friday when we are recording here on the Jay and Keith podcast. It's we're, Friday then. It's we, Saturday, Sunday. What? Yep. Yep. It's Friday then. Yep. 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 That's my rhythm. That's all I got. Um, yeah. Or lack thereof. We're going to recap Wednesday and Thursdays, uh, not just ETSU, but we will be recapping uh, Southern Conference as we got to start looking at that. And uh, so we'll look behind, we'll look ahead, we'll look at the Southern Conference. As it's, uh, is it ever too early to look at standings? Uh, probably no. When, when nobody's played never, games, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And then, Even then, you can still look game, at it. Right. You can still look at non-conference, and we do right. that a lot. But we really don't dive into a lot of it because. Of, the one problem with diving into non-conference is the apples to oranges. There are some teams that you know just you know play to get wins, and there are some teams that try to compete, and then uh, none of it matters because teams that I think play hard games to get better during league play sometimes do, sometimes don't. Teams I think play nobody just to pad the schedule will stink in the league. AKA Sanford have been pretty good in the league. So what do I know, right? So we just skip that. We go in the conference play. We'll jump into yeah, all that. Yeah, let's. Yeah, we'll. we'll this is going to be a basketball-heavy episode. Um, because there's a lot of basketball to talk about. So let's talk about uh, women's basketball, since that's fresh in mind. That is the, the lead, I suppose. Uh, also, the, they won their third and four of uh, SOCOM play early on, so they're still uh, pretty firmly in second place behind Chattanooga after a win last night over Western Carolina on the road in Cullowhee. And uh, like I said, that was my first trip to Cullowhee. Everybody there was super-duper nice. Like, I thought the game op staff did a really good job just making sure we had everything we needed. It, it felt like a really good place to, to go do my job, which I, I just uh, shout out to Western Carolina. It's kind of a remote location a little bit, right, because, like, southwest of Waynesville. You go to Waynesville, and then you keep going, and you're deep in the mountains by that point. But um, So maybe it gets a little bit of a bad rap for its, lo- its remote location, but I, I enjoyed my trip to Cullowhee. And uh, I'm excited to go back next year. But uh, the Bucks get the win, 56-47. Didn't shoot the ball super great. Missed some good open looks. Um, you know, Jalen Cotton had one on the baseline. Didn't go in. Courtney Moore finished 0 for 8. Deve Brown had a couple. Especially, like, in the second half, you could tell team needed a bucket. She started to press a little bit. She took some shots that were just like, oh, no. You need to sit down, take a breather, take a deep breath, just relax, refocus, let the game come back to you. Don't try to make too much happen. And, uh, but uh, she hit a couple threes in the second half. Journey McDaniel hit two big threes in the, the third quarter, one more in the fourth, and uh, the Bucks got what they needed. They controlled the pace of the game on the glass with an outstanding rebounding effort, offensive and defensive, and uh, they, they did what they needed to do defensively. They held Western Carolina under 50, and that's going to win you most basketball games. Of if you're especially if you play the way that ETSU does at a deliberate pace with offensive efficiency, well, like a little bit more offensive efficiency than they had last night, but very very lockdown defense. You play slow, you're going to win a lot of games where you you're going to win most or all of your games where you hold an opponent under 50 points. So overall, thought it was a pretty good effort for ETSU. Uh, they do have some things they need to clean up offensively though if they want to c- 
continue the road swing with a win at UNCG tomorrow. Yeah, and for UNCG, I think that's the, the you know, defensively, yes, they were there, but Chattanooga, at least a little bit, I, I tuned in to watch kind of during some commercial breaks of the ETSU game, had no trouble um, offensively uh, against UNCG. And that was kind of the one thing, UNCG, if they can keep you in the 50s, right, they got a shot at a game. If you get to 60 or 70, I just don't think UNCG can get there. And I wanted to kind of use this weekend. I know it's a tough weekend, right, because right now you don't want that Chattanooga ETSU swing. Well, you know, when, home or away. I don't no, think, you know, you know, if you're getting a double whammy, there's no – there's no game where you can kind of like, okay, you play UNCG, you get Western, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's not kind of. So no, that's that's that. the right uppercut right into the left hook. I mean, you're you're in a nasty position when you're trying to play those two teams back to back. Yeah, and if you can get one of them, great. And for UNCG, they didn't get the first one, and now they're going to be licking their chops to try to figure out, um, you know, how they're going to be able to handle ETSU. And statistically speaking, Chattanooga overalls had a easier time scoring the basketball than ETSU, and that's just Very factual, much so. right? Very much just, so. just look at the stat sheet top of watch games so you know this will be an interesting matchup for greensboro because losing a couple of games now they're looking right you know if they fall three back and consider wofford continues to win they're three and one it would just have to see how it shakes out but if uncg wants to be in the conversation this will be the same thing next weekend when wofford will play chattanooga and etsu wofford wants to be in there with the conversation of the two tennessee schools then they're going to have to win one or both of those games to remain in the conversation. For UNCG, they lose this one. They're just going, okay, now we're playing for 3C. Same thing, I think, for Wofford the next weekend. Mm-hmm. For ETSU, the concerning thing is they're still not getting – what was the, the one thing uh, Coach Ezell likes you to say? Play your average, right? They're not getting that. Mm-hmm. If somebody's averaging, let's say, 10 points just for simple math, you're not getting 9, 10, 11 every game. You'll get 13 two, and, and then, then 18. 4. Right. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. No, you're right. Kind of play to your averages is what the theme is needs to be, I think, for ETSU because right now it is somebody, for example, Jeremy McDaniel's not averaging 15 points, but they needed all of her 15 points last night in order to pick up the win, right? They need Courtney Moore not to go 21 night and one the next, right? They, they've got to get, you know, eight or ten, whatever the number is, is what they need to kind of bring. I still think Kendall Foley, I'm curious as – the foot, leg, ankle, ankle. As that it gets better, and as she gets kind of, will the scoring come back? Because early in the year, right, she was phenomenal. And yes, I think teams a little bit after the first ten games tried to specifically take her out, and other people were able to step up. But now with the way Neve Brown has played, I think the last month, month and a half in the season, you know people are going to start to pay a little bit more attention to her. So can Courtney Moore? Can Kendall Foley continue to kind of pick? up uh, where Neve, if Neve has an off day. Um, also, it was interesting, uh, you know, it's not only just four minutes, and I didn't, I didn't know if there was a – she get hurt? Was there a thing there? Just no. Four minutes? Just, just subbed in and out real quick. Okay. I, that no, was I wasn't really sure what to make of that, make of that either. Um, but, yeah, ETSU tied with Wofford for second at 3-1, and one, uh, and uh, both those teams, uh, that'll be a big one next Saturday. And that is part of the doubleheader, I believe, at Freedom Hall for ETSU. Yes, Wofford, ETSU. Yeah, yes, Wofford, it is Wofford. Yeah, yes. Wofford and ETSU. Um, that's the front end of the doubleheader. And then the men play the Citadel. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, yes. that's correct. Okay. So that's a big one. That'll be for um, 
you know, it's, uh, one of those teams is going to be nipping at the heels of Chattanooga, and the other one is going to be in a spot where they really need to pick up something special in the second half of the year. Uh, Samford got a win over Furman, and I think we need to uh, uh, reconcile with the idea that Furman might not be very good. Uh, I know they started out, they were 10-6 and six in uh, non-conference play, but they are now 1-3. and three. They lost to Samford, I uh, believe, at home last night. That's not going to do a whole lot for you in terms of seeding. Uh, they won big at Western Carolina, but at UNCG they lost by 15. At Wofford they lost by 14. And then Sanford at home they lost by 6. Uh, now they got Mercer, a Mercer team that feels like it should have beaten Wofford last night. Uh, they lost that game by, was it one point? Was it 65-64? And Summa Evans went 0 for 12 from the field. So they really feel like they should have won that basketball game. They're going to have a burr in their saddle. They're going to come in there and be ready to play. And if you're not ready, you could be in trouble. So I, I think Chattanooga, ETSU still feel like the top two teams to me. Wofford, I just think those other two teams are a bad matchup for the way the Terriers like to play because they want to play faster. They don't play an interior game very much. They want to shoot, shoot, shoot. Uh, and funnel the ball to Rachel Rose as much as anybody. It's like, hey, Arnold, pass the ball to Tucker, and Tucker may pass it to the rest of you. Um, Samford, I'm intrigued because at first I thought, ooh, this team might struggle. I don't know that they're going to get a whole lot better, and they're sitting three and two, five games in, uh, coming up on the halfway mark of SoCon play at seven games. UNCG is two and three. They went on the road and they lost two bad ones. They came back home and they lost another bad one. And Mercer, I think, is a team that's a little spoiler. He could get better. So there's two, two, two thoughts. One, I agree with Mercer. I don't know how many games Mercer's going to win, but they are good enough to win some games. They are good enough to ruin your season in the tournament. They, they are going to win some regular season games, and absolutely they could knock somebody off in the tournament. <laughs> Excuse me. I don't know why I'm struggling today. Sanford's intriguing because did, they looked horrific versus ETSU and Chattanooga because I watched some of yes. the Chattanooga game too. They just that was bad. Bad. And then they struggled with a one-point win against Western Carolina mm-hmm. 40, at home, 48-47. And then I don't know what happened from there. A good win against – again, as we said against UNCG, Sanford got to 60. UNCG has a hard time getting there. So 62-53 home win. You can t- – hey, they're at home. They should win. But to me, going on the road and beating Furman. I know Furman's not quite where they've been um, under Jackie uh, I'm thinking of her. Uh, Jackie Carson. Yes, Alexander was her maiden name when she played against Deshaun Blocker. Yes. Sorry, Carson. There, I, knew I, was, yes. I knew I'd gone. Because there's so, a Jackie Alexander on ETSU staff That, now. too. Uh, the other uh, part of that for Sanford, again, getting to 60. That's a big one for them. They got to the 66 yeah. against Furman. They're playing well. Furman, kind of an identity crisis on the women's side right now. Uh, I actually saw Jackie Carson the other day uh, at Greensboro because, you know, she works for the ACC. ACC now, yeah. She came to the game. Uh, so, I think Sanford is, I agree, this Wofford-Sanford game. And, again, I kind of talked about it last week. We're going to talk about it the men. Like, I thought the men's last week was a pretty solid, like, who's going to do what and, you know, learn a lot about some of the matchups. And we're going to talk about that in the next segment. I think this Saturday is going to be intriguing, too, because what do we make of UNCG and an ETSU? ETSU struggles scoring. Can UNC hold them down in the 50s? If so, UNCG's got a great opportunity. Can the Bucks win a 52-50 game? Yes, they can. Will they on the road? We'll see. If they get to 60, I think it's an easy ETSU win. 
Mercer, again, because of the style they play, and I don't know what to make of Furman, I think we're going to learn about one of those two teams. And my guess is, and you mentioned it, Evans going 0 for 12. I don't think you're going to see that ever again. I, I think Mercer is one of the teams that, like Wofford, can play with a lot of pace, and they don't play super great defense. So if you're not hitting shots, and they are, you're going to have a long day. But if you find ways to execute offensively, you can stay in a basketball game with them. And that's, you know, they're just they, playing so fast, it puts you out of position defensively a lot of times, and uh, teams are able to exploit that. And ETSU was able to exploit that. They played a faster game. Both teams scored in the 70s, and ETSU got a win. You know, Chattanooga Western's probably the throwaway game of the, the, the weekend, if you will. I want to ask you, I want to ask you, because here's Western Carolina's, their upcoming schedule, Chattanooga at home. Okay. UNCG at home. Okay. Um, at Wofford Furman. Then Mercer Sanford at home. They've already lost to both of those. Um, and they lost decisively to Mercer at Chattanooga, at ETSU, at UNCG to end the season. Yeah, they may not win a game. I was going to say, do, they, do, do they win a game? If they win one, it's one. And I think that's max. The, I, I think one win is what they have. Uh, and I'm probably just trying to be nice. Um, I don't see a win yeah. for them on that schedule. Can they win one? Yeah, I think they can win one. Are they going to win more than one? I would put that very, That's very, very unlikely. No, no. I think I, I don't want to say no shot, but very unlikely. Highly, very unlikely. So, yeah, and, and that's why that's chat's the only game on the schedule. And then maybe the most intriguing game is Sanford Wofford. Because he and, uh, ATSU, UNCG, I think, is one. Uh, true, as, as true. Well. Not involving the Bucs, um, yeah. then yes, because – I mean, standing-wise, those are the two. They're way more intriguing. Mercer, Furman. That's yeah. just you know who's yeah. going to, you know, fall with four losses. And with UNCG, are they going to get back into it? I think that's it. But Sanford already two losses. Wofford one loss. If Sanford, you know, do they win four straight? They go to four and two, and they've kind of turned that whole season around. Mm-hmm. Or is Wofford improved to four and one? And if, and if ETSU were to win, now you do get sort of that three-team race, and it'll be up to Wofford the next weekend. That'll be our next intriguing matchup. So how does Wofford do the next weekend? But mm-hmm. we don't jump ahead because mm-hmm. Wofford's still got to beat Sanford, who's, you know, I, I don't want to say fully turned around, but the last three games they've certainly been able to score it, or two games because they, they won an ugly 48-47 yeah. game. But the two games after that ugly game, they've been able to score the basketball. So will they be able to score Wofford, who particularly, I don't want to say they don't play defense, but there are chances to score against Wofford that Sanford will Agreed. be able to take advantage of. And then for ETSU, I mean, I think obviously those are one and two. Mercer Furman's more intriguing to see for me what is Furman more than Mercer. And I know for standing purposes, I don't think that game matters a whole lot. For the Sanford and Wofford, there's certainly a lot of intrigue there. And for UNCG, ETSU, there's a little bit of intrigue there because I think obviously Chattanooga's going to be 5-0 and and, and sitting pretty. So the Bucks and the Terriers are going to have to try to keep pace. Yeah, uh, and for UNCG, uh, Jade Gamble, grad transfer, really, really good player, just good, solid, efficient scorer. Um, they've had a, other, a couple others, Isis Grady, solid. Um, and, of course, Kalise Kane gets physical in the post. That's a team that's got some size. They play a little bit slower than they did last year. They're not immediately get down the floor and chuck it up from the right wing or left wing or wherever they can get a halfway decent look at three. If it's a contested look, they'd still fire it up sometimes. This team has overhauled, I think, its identity as how they play basketball on offense, and it's helping them win basketball games. 
And uh, I think that's a, a tip of the cap to the coaching staff uh, over in Greensboro that, hey, this may be better for us to try to win ball games this way. And it, it's been effective. It wasn't effective for them last night, but it, that doesn't mean it won't be effective for them throughout SOCON play this year. Is that all you got? It's all I got. Okay. All right. Well, I think we should move on then. All right, 16 minutes and change in. We are ready to talk about men's basketball. VMI. That's who ETSU beat to get off the schneid. Five-game losing skid snapped with a win at the Kedex. And VMI made Brooks Savage's crew earn it. Uh, they literally down to the final possession. And Jaden Parker comes up with a block shot, frustrates what otherwise was a really good drive to the basket that could have won VMI the game. But uh, ETSU hangs on 74-73. They get the dub. Parker with the double-double. Season-high 13 points for him. Uh, Jaden Seymour, north of 15 at 21 or 22. And uh, it's north of 15 points for the fifth consecutive game for Clips. Yeah. I mean, again, the, the way the offense is and the struggles, and I think Peter Kimari had had eight straight games of double figures before that one was broke. Seymour had 20 of the 22 in the second half. And it, honestly, the first half was all about uh, a couple of guys that maybe aren't known uh, for a lot of the scoring. Gabe Sisk had seven, and Jaden Parker had ten. And I think Parker yep. had ten of the first 13. Sisk scored seven of the next 12, and that kind of got ETSU – a couple different times on the 11-point lead. 11-point lead in the first half. VMI came back and erased it. Bucks took a four-point halftime lead. Started second half. Went lights out. Went up 11. Then VMI went on a 12 nothing run. Then ETSU went on a spurt to push it back to nine. And then, honestly, ETSU had a couple of shots late that just didn't want to drop. But, I mean, good shots. Uh, Osamo had one that kind of hit, rattled, hit the backboard, and just missed. I mean, it's one of those where, like, and I feel like for Ebby, it was good to see him make four threes. I think he only made four threes the last four games. Yes. But it was good to see, uh, again, his misses aren't really I, – I, you can kind of tell if a guy's dialed in or not for me, how are the misses? Are the misses rattling and popping out? Are they rolling popping out? Or are you missing wide left, right? And are you airballing? Are you barely drawing iron? Are you – and so ETSU took – and it's taken really last couple games open shots. I think the game before VMI, they were 4 of 20 open shots. And I'm not talking to Coach Savage yet to get the, the open shot count this time. It has to be higher for simple reason. Osamo was able to hit some open shots this time. And so Seymour hits a Parker hit like his fourth career three ever in the game in that early <laughs> spurt. So um, eight threes, eight to ten threes, I think ETSU is going to be highly successful if they can hit eight to ten threes. You look at the games where they've been under, I think it's six or less, and they've maybe won one of them, but they really struggle because they rely on the three, whether you like it or not. You know, you have they're, to. They're going to take, yes, the game, well, I mean, you the just game have to rely is on, the game on making shots. Brooks, Brooks said it on, uh, on Monday. Miss. It's a make-miss game. If you make shots consistently, then it makes up for a lot. Look at Samford. Samford's defense is a, a, a suggestion. But Samford plays at the fourth highest pace in the country, and they're a top 20 field goal percentage team and a top 10 effective field goal percentage team, and they're third in the country in scoring offense. 
They take a ton of shots. They make a ton of shots. They're okay playing high-scoring games because they want to be in the 80s, and that covers up for whatever mistakes you might make on defense because they're kind of baked into the strategy of winning basketball games. So that's the nature of of basketball, high-level basketball, is you make shots and everything else becomes a lot easier. ETSU made some shots and things started to become a little bit easier. The shots dried up. VMI was able to throw a counterpunch. And Bucks never really put the key that's away, um, which I think is concerning. But at the same time, you got to put one foot in front of the other. Getting the win period on the road is critical for ETSU at this juncture of the year. Yeah, because, I mean, you're either looking at a six-game slide um, or – you get a win, right, over a team you should beat, even if you don't have Karan. A, a six-game slide that would have a reasonable chance of morphing into eight very quickly. Correct. With Sanford and then at Mercer, uh, a Mercer team that just lost at the Citadel, a game where they blew a double-digit second-half lead. They're going to be – they're either going to be motivated or they're going to wilt next week. Yeah, there was like at one point like an 18-point lead. Yes, it was. I, it looked. It looked like they were running away with it. I was busy watching uh, Western Carolina UNCG late, and that game went to overtime and was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, the Bulldogs came back. They hit the forget who it was. Hit the three with like four seconds left to give them the lead, and it was just an absolute stunner. I looked at that score later, and my jaw hit the floor. Who was it hit the hit the last shot? Well, I was looking at the lead. So it was in the second. It was an eighteen point lead in the first half. A sixteen point lead with under sixteen minutes to go for Mercer, and then it was the three. Melora Brown, uh, Elijah Morgan hit. The, Elijah Morgan hit the three. You're right. right. Yeah, and then no, you're right. Brown yeah, yeah, hit yeah, the yeah, one yeah, yeah. free throw. But Morgan, to your point, that three was with about forty seconds to go. Forty. And then they hit a free throw with a couple seconds just to kind of seal the deal. But yes, for Mercer, they're in that. Cusp, just like ETSU was. Do you still have the team for Coach Savage if you drop that VMI game? And I know he would say yes, but would you really? Does Mercer, how are they going to respond? Because they're going to go to UNCG, which is a tough game. And then, okay, let's say you excuse that one. Well, now you got a team in ETSU that, depending on how the results are, really aren't that far off from where you are in the standings. We'll go over those in just a second. And you lose that one, now you're like, oh, my goodness. You got swept. Now you could see it really going downhill for, for Greg Gary, which I hate because I like Coach Gary. But certainly this was a, a year people were looking at him like you, you It's you like, okay, to time to do right. something, yeah. You know, year four or whatever. We've got to see some sort of results. So it, it'll be curious to see um, how – and it's amazing how these little a win here or there, you know, could do it. Because even just one extra win for ETSU, just think about what that – just think about – the Wofford game. Peterson hits the shot. I try not to. I know. You go to overtime, you do whatever. You, you maybe win that one, and you're three and four, you know, instead of two and five. I mean, it's right. just amazing how some of these go. Same with Mercer. Mercer's lost a couple of one-score games. Uh, I think three of them in league action. So well, I mean, think about, about not just like the one win is like how much of a difference that can make for you. For ETSU, it makes a huge difference because you'd be three and four. Wofford would be three and four. And yeah. you are you have the head-to-head, so you're off a yeah. of Friday night. Then that could be the difference between being the six and being the seven and having to play that extra game and yeah. That's that that's one that I think we're gonna look at at the end of the year and go, Man, man, wow. That what what could have been if, if they had been able to finish that one off. And I'll say that and I realize ETSU is rebounding uh, and should have a rebound advantage against VMI. 
But the last couple of games, we're starting to see the offensive rebound numbers come up where we did in the first couple of games without Karan Boyd. Yeah. And I think because everyone was so reliant on just watching Karan Boyd go get rebounds that I think everyone's kind of understand, hey, gang rebound, even on the offensive end, go get them. And two, I mean, it was doubled up. The Jaden squared had double doubles, and that was good to see. And one of the hope that ETSU, especially against the Sanford Bulldogs, which we'll talk about in a second, we'll go over kind of the – SOCON results and standings, and then we'll kind of dive in a little bit of ETSU and Sanford. But I, I think if ETSU continues to pound the glass on the offensive-defensive end, that's certainly going to help. But I feel like they're starting to be a little better um, and figure out roles differently without Karan Boyd, which I think will only help whenever he comes back. Now, will he be back Saturday, Wednesday, the following Saturday? I did see him work out without the boot on. He has been doing some things. I, I was told, you know, Highly unlikely Saturday. Now, wasn't ruled out, right. but highly unlikely Saturday and Wednesday uh, could be the first time we see him on the road at Mercer. I'd love to see him Saturday, but let's be honest, at this point, it's better if he's got to sit one or two more games to get healthy. I think everyone agrees. Yeah, I would rather take the long play there oh. with, with Boyd because if he comes back against Sanford, because you're like, well, this is the first-place team and we need all our all hands on deck and we need to, we need everything we can to try to beat Sanford at home, and Boyd tweaks it again, and he's out for two months, his season's over. So I would just just hedge. Hedge just a little bit. If it takes an extra couple days and you have to wait until you go to Mercer, hey, all the better. I would rather have Karan Boyd 95% for Mercer and feeling good than I would at 75% for Samford because that Mercer game is going to have a much bigger implication on your seating probably in the grand scheme of it all. And – it gives Boyd a better chance to get healthy to the point where maybe you're less worried about re-aggravating something. And to that note, too, they were working on um, doing a kind of a, a couple offensive packages for Justice Smith, and then he got hurt right before the game. So he was out in a boot. And I will say this, Coach Savage rolled in some guys early, yep. um, and he talked about, like, hey, I'm getting we, at some point we got to see if these guys are going to be able to help us or not. Because if somebody else goes down with an injury, right, I'm not getting them a lot of time. So we saw – now maybe not a huge minutes. So Makai Johnson got 11. Bray Nillick got 9. Nillick actually knocked down a 3 for you. I thought defensively had a uh, – I don't know if they gave him credit for a block or not. I thought he should have got one of those blocks that he didn't give. I thought I thought he had like 10 blocks. I only got credit for 7. Um, but he was able to knock down a 3 as well. Gabe Sis continues to play heavy minutes. So do you get Karan Boyd? How does that change some things? Um Will the Bucks Sanford, considering the way that Sanford, uh, and I'm, I'm semi-transitioning, but the way Sanford presses and gets whatever, I mean, it's going to take energy. They're going to have to rotate some guys in. So getting some of those guys on the floor early I thought was good. I do, I did chuckle and made up a, a stat. To really, I don't think there is a stat where Coach Savage banged me 30-second timeout, 20 seconds in. I said that was the fastest timeout taking college basketball this year. Uh, of course, I really don't know that, but. Uh, it's got to be up there. It's got to be close. If, if it's not. I mean, there's only 19 more seconds they could have beat him with. So, uh, but I did like right. that. I mean, he, he asked them off the bat, I want you to do this. They come down, they turn over, give up an open three, bam, go. I did have a couple folks ask me, you know, ETSU guys got to be one of the worst teams in, in giving up threes and three-point percentage this year. So, I actually looked that up, and it's not. It's not even close. Um, the 18-19 Steve Forbes and two years ago Desmond Oliver – both gave up 296 makes. ETSU this year, if the pace continues where it is, 
would rank somewhere 20 to 22nd in threes given up around 225. And percentage-wise, right now, teams are making the 26th best three-point percentage versus ETSU. I think people forget in the non-conference, ETSU is one of the best in the nation. There's only been one or two conference games where teams did kind of feast on ETSU defensively. But overall, I think there's a little bit of a farce going on that ETSU is not defending the three or not good at it. I just think part of it is the fact that ETS, the shots that do go down are the looks that other teams get in system when they execute everything perfectly. And now there have been some times where ETSU has had some defensive lapses. Right. They don't switch stuff right. They double-team one guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, sure, exactly. That happens. Um, that, that happens. That happens. It happens. It's happened a little bit more than anybody would like this season. But, um, yeah, it's just when you see, you know, once every three or four trips they get one exactly right and they get a clean look and they knock it down. And that happens, you know, over a period of 25 possession or 20 possessions in a game, they hit like five or six threes. And you're just thinking, God, what happened? And then the next 20 possessions, they hit one. You know, the percentage might stay high, and the made three numbers stay high, and the point total is obviously very high, but the efficiency is different. Um, I, I think ETSU is okay defending the three. I really don't think it's a catastrophic thing. Um, I, I, they, there are a lot of other issues. Uh, ma- the main one is switching man-to-man for the Bucks. That allows the drive and kick to come open, and when you don't, when you're not spaced right, and somebody's driving on you, well, then you have suddenly have three guys collapse into the basket. Now there's a three-point shooter open on the wing. That's part of it, too. Guys need to be forceful and aggressive in communicating when they're going to switch. Don't just come up behind somebody and, like, you know, tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, I'm switching with you, bud. You know, like, you got you got to be aggressive. you got to be com- – you got to command it on defense. And I think that's what ETSU really needs, just that big, loud voice to command – the defensive side of the basketball, and that will make everything a whole lot better, and those open threes will start to dry up pretty fast. And again, I hate to say it because it sounds like a crutch, but when Karan Boyd, who is your best defender, is out on the court, mm-hmm. that is going to help everybody. Certainly helps so. And just communication and just everything yeah. going. And I think the trust factor, right? I mean, those, the Boyd had earned trust from teammates – and now that he's been gone, I do think there are guys getting valuable minutes. They've played some different positions. They've guarded some different things. But getting him back, especially on the defensive end and rebounding, right, that is going to be huge uh, whenever he comes back. And I think, again, I, I think there's a little bit of a falsehood on overall where each issue is. There's been a couple of games where, yeah, and when you get into Southern Conference action, they take more threes yeah. than a lot of other leagues. And let's be honest, there's some good shooters in the league. Yes. Let me, let me ask you this. Okay. KB comes back. He's yep. healthy. He's he's in for the duration. Everybody else is healthy. Rotation's typically going to be eight. We know who the five are on the floor to start. Alan Struthers will move back to the bench. Mm-hmm. Who are your other three? Who are your well, other three well, guys that are going to play double-digit minutes if, in the rotation? If Struthers is on the bench, he'd be one of them. Yes. So, okay, Struthers and then Gabe Sisk. Okay. Then to me... I don't know you have to commit to another guy because I think it depends on the team and the style of matchup. Yeah. Right, because if it's a guard heavy, yes, Tyler Rice would be the next guy. I would assume he would get double-digit minutes, give or take. Um, if it's more of a post-present type deal, could you see DJ Hughes get those minutes? Could it be Illich? I think that eighth guy is a floater. I think 
you would still see Struthers a lot, um, and you would see Gabe Sisk a lot. I think that eighth guy is going to be more of almost a NFL defense on. Do do we need the sixth? You know, nickel. Uh, yeah. yeah. What, what sub package are we doing here? Right. So I think it's more. Yeah, I'm not dodging your question. I, I just think it, that's probably more how they're going to play it. I think that's it. a fair answer. I, I think that's what it is because I think Gabe's locked his minutes in. I think obviously Struthers has proven his worth uh, on what it is, uh, and it may just be a redistribution of those seven, and maybe, um, and I think there should be another guy getting double digits. But if it's not, you know, how, how do those work? But I do think you're, you'll have seven heavy rotated guys, and then the. Others, if I can use the Murray Bartow here, the others, if they can combine for 18 minutes between them, and how do they get there? It's like Gilligan's Island. They're the rest. It's the professor and Marianne before they got their own line in the song. It's the rest. You do love that song. It's it's a classic. All right. Have you never been in a ship that struck ground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle? When's the last time you watched Gilligan's Island? No, that is a great question. When's the last time you watched any TV show from before 1980? The last time I watched a TV show before 1980, I probably would have been in high school. And I've watched movies pre-1980, but nah, I don't know that I watched TV. I watched the Mary Tyler Moore show like three weeks ago, two weeks ago. I, you know what? I take that back. I, I think uh, right out of college, I rewatched a lot of the Carol Burnett show. Mm, mm. I, I do like comedy choice. type stuff. So yeah, sketch that, comedy yeah, like yeah, that. She yeah, was really good at that. That whole that whole that was right around the time like uh, whose line it, is it anyways was just like just starting to get going. Right, and I was like, oh, it reminds me. Of, so I started watching Carol Show. Yeah. Probably right out of college last time. I watched the Mary. I watched right after Christmas. I watched the Mary Tyler Moore Show for a few episodes, and I stumbled into season four, which is where the show really started to hit its stride. I think it won an Emmy or two that season, but the first or second episode. Um, Mary is tasked with hiring a new sports anchor for the station, uh, and it's it's exactly what you think it is. Like you've you've done that before. I mean, you had to hire me. You had to hire Mike Gallagher. You had to go through all of those processes and the hundreds of demos that you get. And seeing Mary with a a pot of coffee the size of her head at her kitchen table, two o'clock in the morning in her apartment, her very nice spacious apartment that would cost an, an arm, a leg, and a kidney in Minneapolis today. But uh, seeing her just with all those demo tapes trying to figure out who she wants to hire, it's, uh, I, I related to that. The, really, our industry, sports media, sports casting, has not changed very much in 45, 50 years. It's still the same. Everybody wants to do it. Everybody wants <laughs> yeah. to do the sports. So. I don't know how to transition from that into Sanford. the – Well, I want to talk about the results. Let's go results, standings, and jump into Sanford. The okay. last – again, I thought last game cycle, Wednesday was maybe the most intriguing of the Southern Conference year just because of what was going on. And there were a couple of things. One, obviously we thought ETSU beat VMI, which they did. Maybe not how we thought they would, but they did. Mm-hmm. I was curious to see Citadel Mercer just because they're all vying for whatever in Citadel one, and it says a lot about Citadel, that's maybe a, a lot more about Mercer. I don't that's know. That's the uh, what, what is it they call it in rest of the classic comeback. So yeah, the comeback for the Citadel to get the win late it was impressive. The Chat Wofford game was going to tell me a lot more about Wofford, so yeah. I, I kind of figured that out. And then the two games, I think everyone, if you just follow Sun Conference just as afar and want to take a look at scores and standings, would Western lose their third game in a row? And they did in overtime in a game 
the last 24 seconds in overtime that took a thousand years to complete, but UNC, excuse me, UNCG able to hold on, and now Western kind of reeling a little bit after three straight consecutive losses. Your thoughts? Why did the shot clock reset in overtime yeah, after a I block don't know. shot? And then that took forever. And, and then, then, and then and they had, had to figure that out. And I figured it out pretty quickly. It was like, okay, yeah, there should be three or four seconds left on the shot clock, and there there was four. Um, but yeah, that was odd. Just so much of and that it was, was uh, And it went against Western, for those that yeah. didn't and, see and it. And Western, it really, yeah. yeah, it was a block shot, and then Western got the ball back after the block shot. Somehow it reset after like seven, eight seconds of dribbling around. So instead of having – all right, I'm sorry, four seconds. So instead of having 16 seconds on the shot clock, mm. right, they, they should have had four seconds. The block happened with eight seconds to go. So they yep. put, but having the difference between you thought you had 16 seconds to run something and having three or four seconds is a huge – Discrepancy and so right, and I just Western struggled to hit the shots they wanted down the stretch. I feel like they kind of ran out of legs, honestly. And I don't know if that was just I mean, UNCG played them pretty physical. I felt like funneling through Brown Jones, who went off for 39, that that can a take a toll on a team. And I thought the Langleys bodied up on some guys and they got some decent shots. And this UNCG team's just that darn good. They're really, really good. This, this may be the best one for – no, it is the best one for Mike Jones yet. This is the confusing – not confusing. This is what I thought maybe Western struggled with was post players. Now, they dared a chore, chore to hit threes, and he did, and he went for 35 or whatever. Yes. They dared – they didn't really dare. I mean, they, they just – UNCG just said, we're better inside and just pounded the basketball inside. And so not only to the tune of 11 to 17 um, field goals, but he also hit four threes, which, again – they dared him to shoot threes like they did a chore, chore, and they fouled Brown Jones more, and Brown Jones went 13 of 16 from the free throw line. He did it on all three kind of levels, as they say. But to me, the Western knows are not good or are not as deep in the post as they are in the perimeter. And when they face two right. of the best post players in the league, they've, number one, they've tried to dare them to shoot threes, and it has backfired, number one. And they've given him open looks. It's not like they're, like, guarding. They they want him to take that shot because they feel like they're not going to hit it, and it's backfired. But they have not had an answer for post players. And that is maybe a little bit of the concerning part and the physicality that Furman uh, was able to use against Western as well. So three different ways. Yeah. What I'm hearing is that Jaden Parker needs to take some threes in Tullowy. Well, they may guard Jaden Parker. They may be afraid. I just the, the, like not again. We're not letting it happen again. The 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 post interior Western as was kind of the knock on what do we know because we know if you look at just the names of the guards and what they're able to do. Woolbright is the double double machine. He continued and he had thirty four in the game with fifteen rebounds. He continued to do what he does. Trey, da- Trey Jackson, excuse me, you know he's going to be able to drop a lot of threes. You know Russell Jones Jr. is going to play tough defense, hit a clean three. DJ Campbell normally is going to hit a three for you. Pelote's going to shoot a three. You know, what are you going to get out of Lampton, Granger, Williams? I mean, what what are those guys in the interior going to be able to give you? And really they only need defensively because Western has enough sc- – I mean, at 82 again. They have enough scoring. So that was – it was interesting to see because I didn't know that UNCG could get to 85, but they were able to do so. But it was an int- went to halftime, and I was a little shocked by the score because Western was down 13. I thought, well, they're going to be able to make a run second half, and then they kind of exploded, and then they took the lead, and then UNCG had to come back, and it went to overtime. It was a good basketball game, 
um, if you just, again, no dog in a fight and, right. you're, and you're trying to watch what was going it, on. It, it's soul-searching time for Western now because yeah, there's three, three straight. Yeah, three in a row. And uh, it's after opening up the, the league with four straight wins. Or kind Looking of like a title down. contender. Yeah. yeah. You know. So, uh, and and then we transitioned. To the other game everybody wanted to watch was, was Sanford going to continue to roll with the 17-game win streak where they're going to make it 18 or with Furman getting healthy with Marcus Foster and Pegues playing. Pegues now played five in a row. Foster playing his second game back. How would that go? Marcus Foster, a double-double with 22-11. and 11. And Furman really was in command most of the game and never really threatened. And a 10-point victory. Yeah. It's, that's This is the Furman team that we thought we were going to get at the beginning of the year before all the injuries hit, and then they – got smashed by a much healthier Chattanooga and started out 0-2. And it was like, uh-oh. But we all said, we all saw it, we all knew, well, all their principal shot makers weren't in that game. So if they get healthy and it's still this way, then it's a problem. But until those guys get healthy, reserve ju- judgment on on uh, the, the, uh, the Paladins because I, I really think that we all thought that was the preseason favorite. And – uh, I, I think they are asserting themselves now. They are very much back in the title fight, and everybody is going to be looking over their shoulder for at the top of the conference this year. Furman is uh, maybe who we thought they were, if I could didn't agree with you there, once they've got healthy, um, which is a pretty good basketball team. For the Samford Bulldogs, I still think, all right, they, they're, they're only losses at Furman with Furman finally fully healthy. They'll get them a chance at home. Furman was able to handle the pressure because they have very good guards. Mm-hmm. The concerning part moving forward. And they move the ball there. really well. Like that, That's yes, always their yes, thing. Yes. And they've ran that same system, you know, again, where a lot of teams are, are switching systems, switching coaches. I mean, Chattanooga's year two in the system, but they've not been running um, Dan Earl's system that long. And so there's still intricacies that people are trying to learn where Wofford was running this when Bob Ritchie was the assistant. And then when he took over, and Woff and Furman, excuse me, I think I said Wofford Furman is running the same system again when Bob Rich was assistant now as the head coach. And I think the big thing for Furman is they get guys redshirt them and they're willing to sit and wait and play behind the next guy. And so they see how it's supposed to be. They learn how it's going to happen, and then they kind of make it happen. That being said, they were able to handle the pressure because they got good guards. ETSU, are they going to be able to handle the pressure? Sanford's averaging 11.5 steals per contest with that press, 14 in league action if you just go conference games only. So that's going to be one of the huge keys. Can ETSU able to handle that? And then the depth. I mean, you look at um, the amount of minutes played for Sanford by play. Let's uh, just take nine, nine minutes or more. So there's two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. Thirteen guys average nine or more minutes. Twelve guys average pretty much double digits minutes. So them running that system and coming at you with the press and doing and rotating guys in. And then line change and here's five yeah. fresh yeah, five fresh right. sets of legs. They don't even do red team, blue team. It's red red team, blue team. Hey White, you got three guys roll out there. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, and that's Buckyball, right? That's what that's uh, that's what he was built on. The the press and depth and running and getting the game going. They've thrown several, um, you know, well, not several. They threw the – well, yeah, they have four four games in the 100s. Now, I know they beat LaGrange, 128. They threw 134 against Fiume. They almost had like 100 points with like 50 minutes to go in the game. 
And they probably could have scored 200 yeah. if they kept it going. They yeah. could have easily scored 160 against VMI if they wanted. They they backed off in, in the second half. Um, and even then, I think they put up, was it 134? It's a defensible cricket score. Well, and Like, your, your bowlers can defend that in the, in the second innings. Like, they can make that stand up. You like math, and I'm going to uh, give you the simplest math of the day. The three losses for Samford. They scored 45 against Purdue, who was the number one team in the country at the time, mm-hmm. 65 at VCU, yes. and 68 at Furman. All other games, they've scored 75 or more. So if ETSU can hold them to 68, it's a W. If they hold them to 74, it's an iffy one. Yeah. If they, Sanford gets to 75, it's not looking good for the Bucks. I just appreciated your, your use of intricacies because I think you dropped a consonant in there somewhere. Intricacies, I thought it was. Intricacies, intricacies. That's a different thing. What? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I dropped a continent in there. Is that? Uh, yeah, you dropped it, you dropped a continent in there. That's what. Okay. That's exactly what you there's, did. There's there's seven the seven of those, right? And I dropped one of those in the middle of it. You you me? Two Are there seven or eight? Number four. It's like, hang on. And he never brought it up again. <laughs> Asia, Africa, Europe, Australia. South America, North America, Antarctica, and it's seven. For some reason, I thought, like, Antarctica was now, like... Now, this is a segment like, you make fun of me. What are you doing over there? I'm leaning into the... I'm steering into the skid. I wish I could read the uh, direct message I got from the gambler. They didn't know the English language either. All right. Jay knows the English language. Jay, your word of the day is heteronym. I think I would. Your fear. Fear just scrawled across the face of the voice of the Bucks. Am I one of them? I mean, me and Sonny, is that that how that works? (laughs) Good Lord, no. It's the male version of (laughs) No. No? So do do you know what a homonym is? Yeah. It's two words that sound the same? Yeah. Well, a heteronym is a word that is spelled the same as another, but has a different sound or meaning. Think about wind and wind. You spell them the same way. Live and live? Live and live, yeah. I actually had that conversation. Now, I did not know that was the correct term, but I had to explain that to one of my sons who used it. He read like a billboard. I was like, why, yeah. why would that say live, Dad? Mm-hmm. And I was like, it doesn't. It's live. Yeah. It's like uh, lead, like you, you, you lead a group and led the element. Spelled the same. As opposed to the past tense version of lead, which is spelled L-E-D. Mm-hmm. Like a light. There you go. Now you're, now you're just thinking up all sorts of different homes. No, er, heteronyms. Heteronyms. No, you're going heteronyms. I'm, I'm just, I'm I think you should work that word in tomorrow. You should do heteronym. Or would you prefer lexicographer? I would. That was my backup plan. I would. Well, I'd butcher both and then probably still use them incorrectly because I won't remember that. Or say it correctly. That's probably the other thing, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you should probably stay away from heteronym on a broadcast. That's just that's just Jay knowing Jay knowing his limitations in the English language. But I do know how many continents there are. Mm -hmm. Unlike you. I just had to double check okay. because I thought, like, like I said, I thought Antarctica was like Pluto. Some people counted it, some people didn't. I couldn't remember off the top of my head, but at least I was able to navigate my way through them. 
Can you can you do the dumb thing that people do where they throw a state at you and name the state you name the state capital like reflexively? Can you do that? No, because generally I'm gonna say I probably don't know the right state capitals, right? Because I mean, generally speaking, like I'm from North Carolina, so most people don't know. I guess Raleigh. It's Raleigh, but not a lot of people know that. But I mean, in general, I don't know. I feel like most people know that Raleigh is the capital because it's like it's one of those things where like Charlotte is the misdirection. Right, you say, how do you say the state capital of Kentucky? Is it Louisville or Louisville? Is it neither? It's Frankfurt. Right. I got Nevaeh Brown on that. And she gave me a look. The dirtiest look. Uh, well, uh, yes, because you, you on purpose tried to lead a certain way. Uh, well, that's the whole point is it's trying to catch you off guard. Uh, I never catch you off guard with anything, not in, including including but not limited to that segment. But, yes, ETSU and Samford tomorrow Along the Buccaneer Sports Network, Jay Sandos with call on the radio. I will have the call on television, and we will not have coverage of um, ETSU women's basketball at UNCG. I believe it is. Uh, is that a two or one? I don't know. That is a. I think it's a two actually. I just clicked off that. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I thought it was a two, but. Um, yeah, that's where we are and where we're headed. All right, your thoughts on uh, fast pace here. Uh, Citadel, Chattanooga, men, don't really have What about VMI Western? VMI we- v- uh, Western by a lot. Okay, Furman Wofford. Uh, give me the purple. Mercer UNCG. Uh, Uncle G comfortably. Yeah, uh, all of uh, I mean, as, as good as Wednesday's was on the card uh, on Saturday, may not. I, mean, I don't want to say it's totally the opposite because there are a couple intriguing matchups there, but it's certainly not as good as it was. I Wednesday. still think Wofford's a paper tiger. If they beat Furman, then I'll change my mind maybe kind of a little bit. But everybody else, I kind of expect to handle their business, to be honest. 3.30 air for Jay and a little bit of Bruce Tranbarger on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Although Bruce will have the call of the game with me. Jay gets him for pregame and postgame. And he gets me Monday through Friday on the J&T Show. Bye, everyone.